Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that this morning as we read your word, God, that you would, um, you would illuminate the things to us that are left in darkness, the things in our life that are sitting dormant. And God, I pray um, for a hope to arise, a joy to arise in this place. God, that you are in control of every aspect of our life and you love us so much. Father, I pray that people are filled today and they're encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. It's a beautiful prayer that's prayed by the Apostle Paul. And this is what he prays for the church. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's kind of funny. He says that you would know something that surpasses knowledge, right? That you would know the love of Christ that is, that is immense, surpasses knowledge. And then he says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Such a, a powerful statement that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just some of God, not that you might go just a little bit deeper, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, when I was 12 years old, my step-grandmother invited our family and my uncle's family to her house for a Thanksgiving meal. And I remember I was starving. I hadn't eaten anything that day because typically on Thanksgiving, I'm preparing for a massive turkey dinner. So I don't have breakfast and I I get really hungry so that I could stuff myself full of a Thanksgiving meal. And my step-grandmother, she was this wonderful, wonderful person. She was quiet and, and she was a sweet woman from Nova Scotia. Uh, She never had any children of her own, and she wasn't accustomed to feeding large groups of people, right? And and when it was time to eat, our families, uh, we sat down, and we looked at the table, and we see a small platter with rolls and cheese and deli meats so that we could build our own small sandwich. And I remember there being a little dish of cottage cheese and a little dish of olives, and there's 15, 16, there's, there's... we're filling the table. This is the Thanksgiving feast. And we all take a ration of cottage cheese and a single olive and put it on our plate. And we build ourselves one small sandwich on a roll. And I remember starving that day, expecting a Thanksgiving feast at my grandparents' house and walking away hungry. In fact, I remember our family, after we got up from the table, we were kind of eyeballing each other like, when are we going to beat it so we can hit McDonald's and get a burger? Because all of us were just starving. We were so hungry. Well, here, here in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And this word, Filled with all the fullness, it indicates a cup that is overflowing. It indicates uh, being saturated, not being able to hold anything else because you are so full. You are so filled with the fullness of God. 
you're completely saturated. I think most Christians would agree that they want to live a life that is completely full of God's presence. Amen? We want that for our lives. Not only to have a healthy spiritual life, but we want our emotional life to be filled with God's presence. To have a healthy, stable, emotional life. We want our mental life to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you're a young parent like me with four kids, sometimes I feel like I'm literally losing my mind. No, I'm not kidding. You're laughing at me, but if you've got multiple young kids, you know what I'm talking about. You don't get any sleep at night sometimes. The puppies in the house wake you up too, and you're having arguments with your wife about who's more tired, and if she got to go out to lunch with a friend, it's my turn. I get to do something because I need some me time as well. And sometimes it feels like we're absolutely losing our minds. But I want to be filled with all the fullness of God in my mental life, in my physical life. Come on, how many of you are making New Year's resolutions about losing weight or maybe gaining weight? Some of you. You, It's time to go to the gym, right? We want to be filled with the fullness of God in our relational lives. We want our relationships to be healthy, our marriages to be healthy, the bonds that we have with our children and our parents to be healthy. We want all the fullness of God to fill our financial lives. We want to be generous, and we want God to move in our finances as well, knowing that he is our provider and that we've been blessed to be a blessing to other people. We want God to move in our financial life, in our vocational life. We want to know that what I'm doing right now is exactly what God has called me to do. That the the, the career path that I'm in or the things that I am doing with my work and with my hands, that is something that God is in. He's breathing upon. I want all the fullness of God to fill my vocational life as well. I want the fullness of God to fill my generational life as well. I want him not only to impact my life, but the lives of my children and their children and their children. I want to be filled with all the fullness of God. Imagine living into Paul's prayer and experiencing the presence and favor of God in so many areas of our lives. The problem is, most of us have no idea what that might look like in our culture that is so fast-paced and filled with idolatry at every turn. We don't know where to even start, and we get discouraged because our, our devotional lives, they barely exist. And our prayers are often interrupted after five minutes with thoughts of our to-do lists for the day. And we think, if I can't even do that, then how can I experience the fullness of God in my life? If I can't even give him that five minutes or I can't do this, we, we make it about the things that we can do and we get discouraged. We have no idea what Paul is talking about and whether that is even a reality for us. It sounds wonderful, Paul. It sounds great. How do you do that? I had a sobering thought while I was on vacation last month. I was laying in a hammock on the beach on the shores of Hawaii, and I had a cold drink in my hand. The sun was beaming on me. The temperature was perfect. I'm watching my kids lay in the sand when suddenly I had a sobering thought. I had realized 
As I'm on vacation, I'm supposed to be the most relaxed and rested I've ever felt. This is towards the end of a two-week vacation. I realize in that moment that I don't at all feel rested or relaxed. I don't at all feel rejuvenated. I don't feel replenished. And, and if that wouldn't replenish me and fill me up to all the fullness, then what on earth could? What is going to fill me up? See, the majority of Christians in America, we have no idea what Paul is talking about. We go on vacation expecting a Thanksgiving feast for our souls. Going on a two-week vacation to Hawaii. I'm going, I'm going to get away, and my soul is going to feel filled up and replenished. We look forward to the weekend as a time to relax. We work and work for five days, and when the end of Friday comes, we go, yes, now's my time to get refueled and replenished. We even go to church thinking that it might bring the peace that we desperately desire, right? I, I feel like I need to hear God's voice. I need to get entered. I need to be filled up, and so I'm going to go to church, and we get to church, and we, we come but none of it seems to fill us up or fully rejuvenate us. Why is that? Most of us have not experienced the feelings of delight and contentment that come from simply being with God day by day. A consistent relationship with God. We're tired and we're anxious from the unending pursuit of happiness. We're constantly stimulated with noise and entertainment. We're tempted by advertisements of things and places that falsely promise to satisfy us and bring us rest. Not only to be, only to be disappointed and wanting more at the end of it. Is that, am I just preaching to myself this morning or you guys relate with me? Someone once asked what it would take to satisfy a human. And the answer was everything. Everything. That's what it takes to satisfy a human. And on that beach in Hawaii, I realized that unless I begin to develop healthy rhythms and practices, I'm going to quickly burn out. Because I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for rest. I'm looking to get replenished and refueled in all the wrong places. And unless I develop rhythms and practices with the Lord, I'm going to burn out. And Jesus, he invites us to a good life. He invites us to a better way to live. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28, verses 29. Now, I'm going to read, and I don't, I don't know what you think about the message translation, and it's okay. I don't care, because I'm going to read it anyway. I'm going to read it anyway, because uh, Eugene Peterson perfectly, uh, per- perfectly says, uh, he captures what the, the heart of Jesus' message and this is Jesus' invitation from Eugene Peterson in the, in the message translation. Jesus says this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Let learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that phrase. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Everybody just take a deep breath. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you offer to us 
a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light. There's a way to live that needs to be learned from the life of Jesus. And I love that phrase, unforced rhythms of grace. In this coming year, I believe that Jesus wants to teach our church about those unforced rhythms of grace. I believe that God is bringing the church in America to a place of maturity that is only going to be realized by those who are willing to follow the ways of Jesus and to learn the rhythms, the unforced rhythms of grace. Some people are going to step into those rhythms and feel a lot of discomfort and realize, oh, there's a lot in my life that needs to go. There's a lot of things that need to change, and it might intimidate some people. But for those who are willing to follow Jesus into these unforced rhythms of grace, you are going to experience breakthrough this year. And I believe that God wants to do that in our church this year. I believe it so much that our church is going to be using uh, resources from a group called Practicing the Way. If you haven't heard of Practicing the Way or um, Pastor John Mark Comer uh, started this nonprofit in Portland, Oregon, and uh, he, uh, he introduces these practices and, and their tools for churches to use. We're going to be doing these practices together as a church, and this year we're going to form groups that experience all of these different practices of Jesus. They're practices like Sabbath how to really have a Sabbath. Now, I don't know about you, but up until recently, my Sabbath has just been a day off. But Sabbath is more than just a time to stop and rest, but it is also a time to delight in who God is, and it is a time of worship. And only recently have I begun to reposture my weeks in a way that make my Sabbath a day of delight and worship. But I'm going to challenge our church this year to enter into a true Sabbath the way that God intended for it to be. So we're going to start, uh, we're going to go into these practices this year, practices like Sabbath. Uh, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting, the importance of fasting for the early church and how we've lost this ancient practice that Christians have been doing since the, 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 the beginning of the church. We're going to talk about silence and solitude and generosity and more. But the goal is to help our church not only talk about and gain knowledge about these things, but to begin to live them out. Because I promise you, as you begin to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, learn the practices, the ways of Jesus, your lives will be transformed. I don't think anybody's more excited about this than I am. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing this for me. And that's okay. You guys can come along because I need these practices in my life. I think our, the Church of America needs to develop these practices more and more. And let me be honest. This is, I believe that this year might, might be difficult for some of you. You're going to feel resistance when you start implementing these things into your schedule. Right? You, we, did you know Scripture says, make every effort, strive to enter God's rest. Wait, what? I'm, you want me to enter God's rest, but to get there, I have to make every effort. I have to strive to enter God's rest. Why is that? Because we live in a world that doesn't want us to enter God's rest. We live in a world that doesn't want us to experience the fullness of God, to be filled up with all the fullness of God. 
It wants to keep us distracted and busy and, and doing things for God instead of being with God. And I want to break those cycles this year in my life, but I encourage you to break those cycles off in your life as well. When my wife and I returned from our vacation with our kids, we realized that we didn't feel rested because we haven't really learned how to Sabbath. And so we began the Sabbath practice, and it's, it's been, to be honest, it's been pretty painful at first. Now, we idealize Sabbath as this thing, oh, it's just going to be wonderful. I'm going to curl up next to a cozy fire with a cup of coffee and have devotions. But reality, there's a bunch of screaming little kids with you. And there's dishes that need to be done and laundry that needs to be folded and a car that needs, needs to be taken in. And there's housework and there's emails and phone calls and there's social media. Everything is, is grabbing for my attention on the day that I'm supposed to be stopping and delighting and worshiping with the Lord. And what it quickly does is it reveals to me where, all, where I'm falling short. It reveals to me the problems I have inside, the anxiety I have inside. And so as we began this Sabbath practice, we quickly realized, oh, this isn't going to be as easy as we thought it was going to be. This is hard. And as difficult it is as it has been, it's also been so illuminating and so freeing for us as we begin to just be faithful. And it doesn't always look like how we want it to look, but it gets better and better and better as we go. Jesus, I'll say this in a nutshell, Jesus has been teaching us through this practice that being with him is more important than doing things for him. Being with Jesus is more important than doing things for him. He is more concerned about who you are becoming. Because we can ask ourselves, does God really need me? No, he doesn't need you to do anything for him. He invites you into a relationship where you partner with him. But first, he's more concerned about you just being with him. Figuring out that you are a son and a daughter. You are loved by God. That you don't need to do anything. You don't need to work for anything. He loves you. There's a wonderful story in the Bible that illustrates the importance of stopping and stopping to listen to the voice of Jesus. And it's the story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. It'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I think we can all relate to this story. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Martha is making a sandwich that Jesus did not order. She is busy doing things for God that he didn't ask her to do. Anyone who's ever hosted a party can feel the tension and can empathize with Martha. And if you're anything like my wife, 
This isn't just any meal. This is a very important person at the house. There are things that need to be done. Dinner isn't going to make itself. Dishes aren't going to clean themselves. The table isn't going to set itself, right? There isn't a Papa Murphy's to order a couple family-sized pizzas and just sit down and listen to Jesus. And Martha is thinking to herself, if I don't do it, then nobody will, and we won't eat dinner. We can all understand that struggle. We can all understand the feeling of, There are things that need to be done. I need to get things accomplished. But notice that Martha, she doesn't complain about the work that she has to do. Instead, she's critical of what Mary is doing. She's not complaining about the work that needs to be done. She's she's jealous of the fact that Mary doesn't have to do anything, that she's just listening. And if I had to guess, I would bet that Martha's desires to sit at Jesus' feet, she desires this, but... She feels the weight of responsibility and, and, and the assumed expectations of others, that people are expecting her to, to do all these things. And she's thinking, how come Mary gets to sit and listen, and I'm always the one getting things done? And I love Jesus' response. He says, Martha, you're worried and upset, and the solution is one thing. It's to stop and to listen. That is what Sabbath is all about. It is an opportunity for us to stop and delight and listen to the voice of God and worship him. The problem has nothing to do with Mary. It has everything to do with how Martha perceives Jesus. You see, for Martha, Jesus wants good service. And some of us think that. God wants good service from you. But for Mary, Jesus wants good listeners. For Martha, Jesus wants us to do things for him. But for Mary, it's Jesus wants us just to be with him. If Jesus wants us to prioritize being with him, does that that mean we forsake doing things for him? No, it means we have to learn to develop a healthy lifestyle. Rhythms, unforced rhythms. That allows us to balance quiet time listening to the voice of God with activity for God. I told the story a while back, but at one of our Foursquare conferences, Christina and I, we went to a marriage workshop for pastors and their spouses. And one woman at the workshop, she shared how she and her husband have 10 children. And she said, she said that the mornings are crazy. There's dressing the kids, getting breakfast ready, making and packing lunches. And she shared how she typically does all of these things alone because her husband is in the other room spending one to two hours in the morning reading the Bible and praying alone. How nice for him. And a crazy look comes over all the wives in this little workshop at conference. And, and, and judgment began to fall upon this poor husband. I could feel the pain in this husband, right? Is that husband doing a good thing? Praying, reading the Bible for one to two hours. Yes. Is there a better time to do it so that he can help his wife? Yes. He should probably get, get, get to bed earlier so he could wake up earlier before all the craziness starts. See, things still need to get done, and we have responsibilities to do more than just to listen to God's voice, but we also need to obey God's voice. Just like James says, it says, don't merely listen to the word, but do what it says in James 1.22. But Jesus is making a, a statement here in this story in Luke 10. Jesus makes it clear that the priority should be to sit at his feet and listen. 
And this morning, before we move on, I want to take a moment for us to inspect our relationship with Jesus. For us to ponder these questions. And as we do that, we're going to take communion in just a moment, but I want to go ahead and invite Kieran up here as he, as he plays the guitar. But would you close your eyes with me? Don't worry, I'm not going to throw anything at you. You can trust me. But just close your eyes, and I want you to ponder these questions. Here's the first one. Ask yourself this. Am I spiritually, emotionally, or physically tired because I've engaged in more activities than I can sustain? I'm doing more than my body can sustain. Am I receiving from God more than I do for him? Here's a really important question to ask yourself. Do I enjoy Jesus and want to share him with others? Do you enjoy him? Is he your delight? Is he your joy? Have I established regular and sustainable rhythms that make it possible to handle the demands and pressures of life? Is my cup with God full and running over? When I feel depleted, am I able to pivot and adjust my schedule to make more room for God? The time that you spend with Jesus is the greatest gift that you can give yourself and others. They don't need you to do more for them. They need you to spend time in the presence of God because when you are spending time in the presence of God and you're being filled by him and you're experiencing all the fullness that Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, it is the greatest gift that you will give to your life into the lives of your family, into your marriage. It's the greatest gift for your kids. It's the greatest gift for your workplace or the business. It's the greatest gift for your friendships and other relationships. It's the time that you spend with Jesus. He wants you to sit at his feet and to listen to his voice. And from this place of sitting at his feet and listening to his voice, this is the place where God gives us the vision for our future. It's the place where he fills us up with the words to say to those who don't know him. It's where we receive the courage and and the power of the Holy Spirit to go and pray for those around us. It is in the presence of God that the transformation of our heart truly happens, that gives us what we need to go out into the world and do things for God. But it first starts with just being with him, being in his presence. You can open your eyes and look at me if you want. We're going to take communion in a moment. If you don't have a communion element, I want to just encourage you uh, just to raise your hand. You can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. Thanks, Dad. Everybody got one? Good. See, our vision at Desert Church that you now see on the wall when you come into the lobby, it's to see dry places saturated with the presence of God. And that is a very intentional wording. Dry places not only refers to 
the dry geographical areas that surround us, but to dry and thirsty hearts, dry and thirsty people that are longing for peace and rest. It's exactly what Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.19, for people to be filled with all the fullness of God, for them to be saturated, overflowing with the presence of God. As my heart and our church's heart to see people in our community step into all the fullness of God. This is Francis Folks is a theologian and a, and a commentator, and he expresses the heart of Ephesians 3.19 like this. It says, Paul prays ultimately that they may receive not any attribute of God or any gift of his, not love, not knowledge, not strength alone or in combination, but no less than the very highest he can pray for, for the full indwelling of God. Paul does not want to pray for anything less than that God's people may be filled to the very fullest of himself that he seeks to bring into our lives. When he says he wants to fill you to the fullest, he's not talking about anything except himself. He wants to fill you with himself, with his spirit, for you to be overflowing with the presence of God himself. And the goal of every Christian is to be filled completely with God so that his character, his attributes, his love, it all defines our existence. And so knowing that being with God is more important than doing for God, what better way to close our time today than with communion? It's an expression of our desire to commune with Jesus and to focus on the sacrifice he paid so that we could be filled to all the fullness of God. It's because of his body and his blood that was sacrificed on the cross that we are able to experience the fullness of God. To have a spirit inhabiting our lives. And so, would you pray with us as we take communion? And I just want to make it clear that this, this, this thing that we do, it has no meaning for anyone unless they have first given their life to Jesus. So before we do this, Everybody close your eyes. I want to give you an invitation. If you're in this room and you don't know this God who invites you into his rest, you, don't, you haven't had a relationship with, with, with Jesus who says, come to me if you're weary. And maybe you're in this place, you're weary, you're tired, and you're saying, I want this relationship with God. You've never asked him into your life. You've never made him Lord of your life. Would you just raise your hand for me so I could pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you or, or have you walk on stage, nothing like that. I just want to partner with you. If that's you, raise your hand so I could pray with you. Praise God. Praise God. Well, let's take communion together. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus on the cross to die for my sin. I thank you that his body was broken. And Isaiah 53 says that by his wounds, we are healed. That you broke his body. Jesus' body was crushed on the cross so that our lives could experience wholeness and healing. And Father, I pray as we do this that we would enter into that rest. Jesus, we would, we would come to you with all of our, our heaviness and all the things that are ill-fitting and all the things that don't belong on our schedule and the things that worry us and bring us down. God, we lay it at your feet. 
we ask that you would help us to put those things to death. Jesus, we thank you for your body, and we take this with gratitude in Jesus' name. Would you take the, body, the, the bread with me? Take the cup. Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross. I thank you that this is, uh, by, by your blood, our sins are forgiven. And we can approach you with confidence, knowing that uh, you don't hold anything against us. For those of us who have asked for, for forgiveness, who have confessed our sins, Jesus, you are faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And Jesus, we're so grateful that now we can approach you with confidence, knowing that we are your sons and your daughters. God, help us enter into that rest, knowing that we don't have to be nervous around you, Father. We don't have to, to walk on eggshells around you, but we get to experience you the way that you always intended. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. In your name we pray. Let's take the cup together. Would you stand with me? I'm going to have Kieran play for a little bit longer and invite the ministry teams to come forward. If you're on a prayer team, would you just make your way to the sides of the stage? We are here for you, church. We want you to leave this place hearing from God, to be filled up. And so if you need prayer, if you need healing in your body, if you need to be told an encouraging word or you need somebody just partner with you in a struggle that you've been having, this is a safe place to do that. And these are safe people uh, who are confidential, who love Jesus. And so I would just invite you as, as everyone exits, if you still need prayer, please uh, come to one of these people up here and receive prayer. The rest of you, let's hang out for a little bit in the cafe, grab uh, some, some pastries and some coffee, and let's enjoy each other's company. God bless you. Happy New Year. We'll see you next week.